0: Feeding kids isn't just about actually making sure they're not hungry. You have brain development to worry about. Low iron rates, certain other nutritional deficiencies that happen to kids that are in poverty don't set them up for success. Their brains don't develop like the other kids in their class who do have those resources available all the time. There's just so many pieces to the puzzle as far as feeding kids and making sure that we're doing it as well as we possibly
1: can. Welcome to Better Together with Kosti Epifonsive, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kosti Epifonsive.
2: Hey y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Caitlin Steakley, Executive Director of Putnam Education Partnership Foundation, founder of Cookville Strong, owner of Kate Steakley Photography, and host of WCTE's newest series, Wish You Were Here. Putnam Education Partnership Foundation works to meet the essential needs of local students and supports the Putnam County school system in various efforts to strengthen the future of our community. Today, we're talking about how to identify the needs of our community, strengthening our educational system from the inside out, and how to build a better community together. Caitlin, you're the executive director of Putnam Education Partnership, founder of Cookville Strong, and former assistant director of Food to the Rescue. Clearly, you have a passion for service and nonprofit work. What do you believe inspired you to start this journey?
0: My grandmother is definitely that person who inspired all of my efforts. When I was little, she would drag me from place to place whenever uh, I would go visit her. She lives in Knoxville, and she was very, very active in the nonprofit community there. She worked for Susan G. Komen. Um, she was the director of the Dogwood Arts Festival, which is a really huge like street festival in Knoxville that supports the arts. And I always left, whenever I went with her, feeling very fulfilled. And there was other things that happened over the years that kind of led me to this path, I would say. Sure. I owned a store over on the west side for a while called Bless. That's part of my history here in in Cookville and all of the things that I've been a part of. It was actually my mom's store, but the basis of it was that it gave back to the community because that's always been a really important thing to my family. And it's kind of been what I was, I guess, brought up on was that I've been blessed. So go bless others. And the store's name was Bless. And essentially what the model was, was that we gave 10% of our sales Mm -hmm. away, not just our profit, but like actual sales we gave away to local charities. And at the time, one of those charities was Pep. And that's the one that we always landed on because feeding kids is, I guess, always been one of those things that I find like so hard to believe that we would have an issue in the land of abundance, being able to feed kids that are just down the street. You know, we see things on TV about faraway lands, but the need is here. And so I would say that it was my grandmother as that basis in my childhood, but then also experiences with my parents who have always just been very generous in nature as well.
2: Yeah, you definitely have to have people like that in your communities if you want the community to be successful, because there's a lot of people that do need help. So it's a valiant effort. And I I think a lot of people in Cookville appreciate it. Well, tell us about Pep's mission goals and why your work is so vital for our community and our next generation.
0: Children are our primary natural resource as human beings. It's our natural resource. We use lots of other resources, obviously, to live day to day. But whoever we train and get ready for the next generation is who's going to be caring for us and doing all the things that we're going to need when we're older. Sure. The vision of the PEP Foundation is for every student to graduate into a fulfilling career in life. So that is what our ultimate goal is and our vision for the future of our community. Our mission statement is to strengthen the community by removing barriers to achievement for public education students of all ages. We are currently doing this in practice by building strong community relationships and trying to bring partnerships to the school district, as well as removing barriers for food insecurity or student needs through our student needs fund. So one of our main initiatives has been for over 10 years, the backpack program, which provides over 700 children with food every weekend to take home in a backpack so that they are not hungry on the weekends. In addition to that, within the student needs fund, we also have an actual just fund for student needs, which we pay for everything from lice kits to cleaning supplies We pay for dental visits. We help pay for medical expenses that would inhibit a child's learning or ability to learn. So a couple of weeks ago, we were able to pay for like a child to have a tooth pulled who was sitting in class with an abscess tooth with no dental insurance and in pain. Wow. And at risk of all sorts of other problems from not being able to eat or not feel like eating anything that would be a hindrance to their education within reason. And if especially the main target is obviously families that don't have the financial means to provide that for their children. And so we want to step alongside those families and help those families be able to have what they need.
2: From the perspective of the school system, do you take a lot of time educating teachers and counselors about this program? Like, do you feel like they have a pretty good grasp and know that this program is available to them?
0: I just started the position last September. So part of the first steps whenever I took the position was going to school counselors and letting them know that I was there, introducing myself and explaining how PEP fit in my office is currently in the student services building within the school system. So there's a whole like flow chart that I won't get into today, (laughs) but like essentially we have, And I think each district has it, but there's something called the Family Resource Center, which is basically like where we keep food, clothing, donations that are provided to the district for families in need. And I say we, it's not really me. There's a family resource coordinator that keeps those um, needs and she makes sure that every kid's needs are met. And she's been in the district for a long time. So we really help fill in those needs when government grants or federal dollars or federal programming cannot help those kids. So a lot of times that's families that I would classify as like working poor or families that are in ALICE, which is asset limited, income constrained and employed. So it's those are really the families that we target and we try to help provide means for that may not otherwise have
2: it. Were you surprised after doing this for a year, how many families need help?
0: Absolutely. And my understanding is this year, the requests have grown in number over previous years, you know, with wages staying the way they are and expenses going up and inflation and all of those crazy things that make our economic system what it is. There's families that are really, really struggling.
2: Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently. It's uh, called Marketplace on NPR. And they were saying that food banks have seen the highest level of demand In its history, but their expenses have been higher than ever before. And you talk about gas and just delivering food to communities and trying to hire people to work in these food banks. It's kind of like a feedback loop. You know, I am curious before we get to the backpack program. How long has PEP been around?
0: PEP was started in 2004. Okay. um, And it was actually started as a teacher grant program and classroom grants. And I just recently learned the whole history. Like I have been trying to track down the people who originally started it because it got handed off to fulfill the backpack need in 2011. So Mm -hmm. it's had ownership of the backpack program since 2011. So we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. But yes, it was originally started in around 2004 through an effort between the district and leadership Putnam.
2: Okay. Um, And they came
0: together and formed the PEP Foundation and they had like a whole grant application process. Lots of people won those and it was great. I hate to hear that it's gone because I think it would be be awesome. and Maybe that can be something we think about in the future. But yeah, that's
2: how it started. PEP's backpack program currently serves over 700 students. How is it executed and what could help expand and develop this initiative?
0: There's a man named Rick Burnett. He's very well known in our community. He's is a, literally a godsend to Putnam County and kids and students and feeding programs in general. He does a lot in the food space for local citizens here. And he is the one who started and created the program around PEP and the backpack program in general here and in, in the school system. He's literally like one of the greatest people ever. I just want to keep reiterating that because he is amazing (laughs) at what he's done. And he has laid such an amazing foundation for the program and Pep and me as I've come into actually overseeing the backpack program next year. But what happens is there is a lot of different churches in the community that provide either money and they may provide both. So let me say that they may provide one thing, or they may provide multiple things, but they provide money and they provide volunteers and their facilities sometimes around making this possible. So I don't necessarily oversee what happens as far as packing goes, but... On Fridays, if you're ever driving down Jefferson on a Friday here in in Cookville, you'll see a Second Harvest food truck, and we pick up food there every Friday. And a representative from one of the churches that is a packing church or person that packs, we even have a couple different local businesses that do it as well, they will show up with their trailer and all the stuff, and they will load the food and take it to their facility or wherever they're packing the food. Each church or organization is assigned to a school. So they have a relationship with the school. They talk to the counselor and know what they need to order. And then their members, their congregation, or whoever is volunteering work together to pack the bags and deliver them to the school. And then school counselors, PTO, different people in different buildings work to distribute the food inside the buildings each week and try to do it discreetly. But over the years, people have figured out that the bags of food are kids that are in need or whatever. And so we don't have great participation past elementary school level because of the fear of being made fun of or a friend finding out or not wanting to carry it or just basically not born to be caught or seen with any of the stuff. And so-
2: So there's like a stigma. There's
0: a stigma around it. And so that's kind of one of our first, I guess my first goal in the next year is to increase middle school participation in the program again. We did some taste testing this year to try to figure out what kids liked and what kids didn't like. And we learned that there were some things in the bags that weren't great. And so we wanna try to not only give kids food, but give kids food that they can feel good about that they can feel happy to take home and they want to take home. Mm -hmm. We don't want to give them something just to give them something that they don't want to eat, you know? And I think for me, I hope that we can make that change and see an increase in participation because just because that kid went to middle school doesn't mean their family is not struggling, you know? One of the ways we're trying to do this is through supporting food pantries inside the school. So we installed a food pantry in Upperman High School this year. And then we also are helping support Prescott Middles food pantry as well and trying to help them keep growing.
2: Have you ever heard of like teachers that give extra food to kids who have siblings at home? that you know, may be at risk. Does that kind of stuff ever happen? I'm just trying to think outside the box.
0: I know that there are teachers that are spending a ton of money on snacks for kids who show up without snacks at school every day. Wow. Feeding kids isn't just about actually making sure they're not hungry. Right. You have brain development to worry about. Mm-hmm. Low iron rates, certain other nutritional deficiencies that happen to kids that are in poverty don't set them up for success. Their brains don't develop like the other kids in their class who do have those resources available all the time. There's just so many pieces to the puzzle as far as feeding kids and making sure that we're doing it and doing it as well as we possibly can.
2: Yeah. So let's switch gears here. In 2020, you started Cookville Strong, which began as a resource and hub for the Upper Cumberland in the aftermath of the March 3rd tornado. Currently, the group has 28,000 members. Will you tell us about founding this community and how the group has evolved?
0: Yeah. So that was on a whim. And I had no idea that it would become a part of my everyday life, like a couple of years later. So the day of the tornado, I was probably like a lot of other people, so wanting to wish that I could do something to make it better, like instantly, you know, anytime there's devastation or even if a friend gets bad news, like you automatically want to rush to that person and be like, what can I do to help? Well, as a by standard, I wasn't super close to the zone, but my husband worked for the electric company. So he got called in really early and got over there and told me it was like really he told me how bad it was. He's like, it's so, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And so there was part of me that was just sitting there, like, what can I do? What can I do? I went to drop my son off at school that morning and it looked like somebody had just thrown litter all over tech's campus. He went to school at the daycare at tech at the time. I picked up some of it and was reading somebody's journal. There were pieces of journal and pieces of picture and little chunks of people's lives just like on the sidewalk on the way into school. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, this is like a piece of their life. And like, it's just thrown around town in people's lawns and all over the place. And I remember feeling really heavy about that. But then I started seeing people post photos from their yards, that they had found this picture in their yard, or they had found this in their yard, and they were trying to be like, if you know these people, tag them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought this all needs to be in one central location, in one place for people to look and try to find what they're missing because this was obviously like really important stuff. And as a photographer, it was a lot to do with pictures, um, and those are important to me. So I can't imagine not having those pieces anymore and them just being gone, especially if it was something that's not digitalized for them. And so. I just basically decided I was going to do it. And I sat there. I brainstormed for a few minutes. I don't remember what other names I came up with, but I was like, Cookville, Cookville Strong. And I just did it. Yeah, And then it kind of took off. It became not only that, but somewhat of a resource hub and an information hub and a place for people to share their experiences or what they were going through or good news stories or people that needed help or their GoFundMes. And so we had a lot of problems with fraud and all sorts of things in the beginning that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Oh, wow. But at the end of the day, I really sought out some other people to help me figure out like what to do, because I'd never had a page that size. It took off like, over. I don't remember exactly how fast it took off, but it literally took off overnight. And as we all know, like not long after the tornado, it was COVID. It was literally like two weeks later, and then we were all stuck at home. And so it once again remained that place where information was shared. And we tried to keep it very, very, very non-political at that time. Like we added a lot of rules about what could and couldn't be shared. And we tried to keep it very factual and information-based and not Not allow any of the other stuff. Lots of ugly things were said on there at some point, things like that. But yeah, so I learned a lot. I've learned a lot in the past few years, but it's been a great experience. I think for me, the biggest takeaway was just how if we can unite people around a mission and around a common goal. Like how much good can be done? I know like in your office here, you can see the hot, like the old Hobby Lobby parking lot. And I don't know if you were here when the tornado hit. I'm not sure if this was like a location where did you, were you, was your office here? Yeah, yeah,
2: we've been here since 2002.
0: Did you happen to be up here the day that they had the meeting where everybody came together in the parking lot to go over and volunteer?
2: Actually, I do remember that.
0: And I remember just sitting there in awe because most of that had spread like virally through my page and through whatever. And I showed up and was like, oh my goodness, there's literally thousands of people here and they all they want to do is help. And I think at the core of us, that's what we want. Right. And that's what I hope not only my role now or whatever role I may be, it's that I can unite people around a mission to do good and change things that aren't good for other people.
2: I'd like to talk about housing. Okay. Over the past decade, housing has become a struggle for many individuals and families with the unprecedented growth and development of Putnam County and wages just not keeping up. What do you see as the greatest contributing factors to this crisis? And how can we help those in need of more affordable housing in the Upper Cumberland?
0: So I'm going to go back to Cookville Strong for just a second, Mm -hmm. because I want to give some context as to why I got interested in housing. So after the tornado, obviously, there was a lot of houses that were destroyed. A lot of people were displaced. And I served on not only the distribution committee for the Tornado Relief Fund, but I also served on the Benevolence Committee immediately following or not immediately following, but it just ended like last a couple months ago. So for the last two years, I've served on that committee and I was kind of at the front and center of all the people having trouble finding housing or looking for housing. But in addition to that, on the Cookville Strong page, I also had this massive uptick in the middle of COVID, just looking for rentals, can't find one, need one. And I got kind of frustrated Like with all the posts I was approving. And I created a page called For Rent Cookville part of that is that me and a couple other moderators approve all the posts that come through the page and we've kind of watched firsthand in that page just the struggle of people looking for those lower priced
2: I mean can they even find them
0: No I will say that over the past few months that the I'm looking for range has significantly increased. And I wish that I knew how to do some sort of like data analysis on what people asked for in the beginning versus what they're asking for now. I have no clue how to do that. But if anybody listening does, you are more than welcome (laughs) to have admin uh, status on my page to help me you know, look into that. But in that time period, I got really, really interested in housing and what it was like in Putnam County, kind of what the statistics look like, what people were going through and really trying to put a picture on it i worked for habitat for a little bit during that period and got to see firsthand just the whole process around and just gaps within affordable sure. housing yeah during that time I spent a lot of time studying housing I'm not a real estate agent I love all my real estate agent friends and I hope they agree with me, but maybe they'll disagree with me. I have no idea. But I know that I have consulted with a lot of them and they've had similar experiences. But I would say that overall in Putnam County and within housing, there's a huge lack of affordable housing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is it a lack of inventory?
0: I think, yes, I believe it is. I think overall in the United States, there's there's this chart somewhere that shows that the amount of actual structures that were built versus population growth is like way off. Yeah. And I don't know what that looks like as far, and that was single family residents. So I don't know what that looks like as far as apartments and what apartment units and how many apartment units were built during that same time.
2: And the thing about apartments, so this is kind of crazy. I follow a lot of affordable housing news because- I am like you, a product of the 2008 recession. So it's like shaped my entire life. Yes, absolutely.
0: I graduated that year. So same. Absolutely. There you
2: go. So I think apartments are not being built for affordability. No, they're not. And it's actually interesting. A new study has said that in Nashville, it's cheaper to have a mortgage than it is to pay rent. I would believe that. Right. And but when we were growing up, you would rent because it was more affordable than owning a home. Yes. And so now there's this massive mismatch. And I think losing like two to three hundred structures during the tornado. And I also heard that a lot of people are commuting to Nashville from Cookville because they can't buy anything that's affordable in Nashville and Davidson County, Williamson, even the surrounding counties. So you've got an influx of people moving to town. You've got a lack of inventory and wages aren't growing by 40%, which is the current national statistic of home prices in terms of how much they've increased in the last two years. So what do you think could be a solution?
0: I think we're going to have to build more affordable apartments, period. I yeah. don't think there is any other way around it. I think for me, people that are in apartments are who I'm most worried about yeah. um, as we go into the future because let's just say the economy crashes tomorrow. Sure. I think we're still going to see the influx of people moving in from higher priced areas, you're period, right. because it's going to be even harder to live there. They can live more of a cushy life here. Yeah. They can have more land. They can have more autonomy. Like There's going to be lots of value to that for them. And at the same time, you're going to have people that are in even the lower income rentals that are going to be pushed out. and We're going to have gentrification because right. of that problem. But let's just say everybody kind of stops buying, stops moving, stops doing any of that. There's not going to be anywhere for those other ones to go sure. at the bottom. They're not yeah. going to be able, like if people keep moving in and there's people that are not buying and selling because the market is not doing as well as it was, sure. and then you're not building enough apartments to fulfill that or affordable rentals, you're going to have some people at the bottom that are really, really squished here, Yeah. really squished. And this is what worries me. And I, like I said, not a genius, but gentrification is going to happen and we're going to push those people and those families into surrounding counties who have a higher poverty rate than us already.
2: You think homelessness will go up?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. What we have a true lack of is um, emergency and transitional housing. We have almost none in Putnam Mm -hmm. County. That's one of the reasons you see a lot of people walking around near the interstate and different places. There's not a lot of options for them, especially if they're addicted. And that's a high population of that community, which... I have a true heart for, but at the end of the day, we're going to have to have more. And that means you're going to see more subdivisions. You're going to see more neighborhoods. And hopefully you're going to see, unfortunately, I know a lot of people in Cookville don't like to hear this, but more apartments and more affordable housing somewhere.
2: Is this the most important issue to rally behind in 2022?
0: I think this issue and childcare for ages zero to five are probably the two most important. Yes.
2: We've got some doozies coming up. Yeah, And you and I, and well, probably including Morgan, are at the age where we're going to have to lead. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people are looking to us and they're saying, okay, we need more uh, daycares. Mm -hmm. We need more affordable housing. We've got an aging population and we've got people that can't afford to pay out of pocket for care. Food prices are going up. Wages are stagnating. We are on the precipice or could be on the precipice of an economic recession. And I am so glad that there are people like you who can start a Facebook page in the middle of a crisis and provide resources to people so that you can start the conversation with people who can go and access grants and other sources of funding to help these individuals. Because I think you're right. We are going to have to be ready to answer anything that comes our way. And we got a lot of stuff coming our way.
0: We do. It excites me when I get to talk to people that have a passion like I do about community issues and community development. I think what we've talked about today all falls under in economic development, falls under that community piece. And that's really where my heart is, is making sure that when we grow, we don't just grow in workforce and all of that stuff, but we grow in a way that makes sense for our community as a whole and the people that are here. And I hope overall that we see more investment in affordable housing and and creative ways that people are figuring out to do that. And I will say there are so many wonderful people that are working on that problem. I'll do a quick plug for sure. UCHRA and UCDD because they just got a huge grant.
2: 25 million.
0: 25 million. Yes. It's a poverty alleviation plan that they're going to execute. And some of that will hopefully include things like childcare and ways that people can have options for housing so that we can Build up the people that are in our community sure. already instead of just relying on these transitional people that are moving in.
2: At the start of the show, I mentioned you're the new host of WCTE's show, Wish You Were Here. Will you tell us about the show and what viewers can expect?
0: So I am really excited about that project. Yeah. <laughs> um, It is going to air every third Thursday on WCTE at 8.30 p.m. Nice. So every third Thursday, 8.30 p.m., tune in. I will be the host, and we have multiple correspondents, Matt Beal, Rafferty Cleary, Shan Stout, and they basically visit places that are hidden gems all over the Upper Cumberland. And I have had the opportunity to film at some really amazing places that I hope everyone will tune in and see. There's so many hidden gems here in our area, and I'm hoping that this show will produce an increase in tourism. It was a actually a grant um, that UCDD and WCTE applied for and got to help increase tourism in rural communities. And so I hope that it does that. I have met so many amazing people that are living in our community, that are running businesses, that have amazing stories. And I'm just excited to be a part of it and share those experiences with everybody else. And I really hope that it does produce tourism dollars for our community, which I think it will, uh, especially for like outlying counties and those that are close in Knoxville and Nashville for a good, easy weekend
2: trip. So we always like to end the show on a high note. Who is someone that makes you better when you're together?
0: My husband.
2: Oh, that's great.
0: He's a good one. He just really pushes me to always be my best and do my best
1: and just take everything as it comes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepa If you've enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yepa is a Costa Yepa production. Today's episode was written and produced by Morgan Franklin. Post-production, mixing, and editing by Mike Franklin. Want to know more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsive.com. We're better together.